0: This is Revolting, with Steve and Robot on The Cycling Independent, Episode 1, The Beginning.
1: And it's uh, fair to say, actually we're obligated to say, that before we start, this podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes. Uh, you might not like all the words we use or the ideas we bring up. If you're sensitive about these things, maybe this isn't the podcast for you it's okay and we still love you
0: cool all right so this is our first podcast uh i'm robot he's stevel uh and just so all the listeners know we don't really know each other right
1: this is true uh we know of each other and i think we've sort of orbited one another for a number of years but Mm -hmm. we've not crossed paths in in physical form
0: that's right. So um, what, what I think we have established is that we have a lot in common, both in terms of interests beyond cycling and general attitudes about all those things. So but having said that, a big part of this podcast is going to be two people getting to know each other. So that's sort of the background. This first episode is going to be about the stuff that got us inspired when we were kids the stuff that kind of like lit us up and part of that is going to be bikes Um, but we agreed right from the beginning we don't really want to do a cycling podcast because we both thought and talked about bikes enough in our lives maybe Um, this being the cycling independent uh, we'll maybe use the bike as a starting point to get to the other stuff we want to talk about but um, not strictly speaking a cycling podcast so this is your second opportunity, if you're listening, <laughs> to stop. Stop there's certainly listening. No,
1: there's no shortage of places where you can hear people drone on endlessly about gear ratios and new frame composites and stuff like that. None yeah. of that has, has ever really lit a fire under me anyway. That's and right. I don't know. Well, you know, one thing I was thinking about is sort of maybe a little bit of background, like your history how you got into the bike world mm. where you kind of put the brakes on, you know, uh, I don't know I say vested interest, but kind of where you took a turn to bikes as a foundation of your existence, but not the whole of your existence. And then maybe I can do a little intro to you.
0: Yeah, sure. So, so, I mean, uh, like, like most people, um, uh, the bike was to me when I was kid was like a fucking magic machine i could not really comprehend that a a human person could sit on a thing that had only two wheels and move and stay upright like i was i'm definitely aware of you know being a kid and thinking that doesn't work there's no way that works um and just seeing like neighborhood kids ride wheelies and stuff and being like that whatever that is That is the shit right there. Um, So pretty, pretty entranced uh, by the bike all through, you know, being a kid. And then um, I got super interested in drugs and alcohol, which are super interesting things. I think we can agree. Um, sure, sure. And so I went away from the bike for a little while, but still, I, like when I came to Boston, where I live now, um, you know, the bike is just uh, the perfect tool to get around the city. Uh, and then you discover all the things that you loved about it when you were a kid. Then I got like, I, then I tried to have a career doing grown up things. And I I actually tried that pretty hard until I was almost 40 uh, when I realized my soul had died somewhere along the way. (laughs) Um, And I got lucky to get into the bike. I just was like, I got to get a job uh, doing bike things like that. I saw that as the savior. And I, I think that's true to a degree. Like, I'm not in the bike industry, I've never been a mover or a shaker. I've never been important. Uh, but just being, just being in the culture of it, I, like forget about the bikes, forget about, as you said, the gear ratios and all the the minutiae. Um, and I've read through all the, you know, like I know those things because you sort of get them osmotically. But um, to me, just being around bike people, um, people who want to, build bikes and do bike stuff has just been like having having my brain in the right place um and then you know as a writer i've been writing about bikes and things for a long time and as a lens for thinking about everything like you know how to be a dad how to be a how to be a grown-up dirtbag that that somehow subsists and whatever it's like it's a good lens to look through and all the things that were good about it when i was seven years old are still good about it if i have my head straight so it's good that way what about you
1: uh well um you know like like most kids uh i suppose i ended up with a hand-me-down bike. And I learned how to ride on that when I was kind of older than most kids, I guess I was probably eight or nine. Um, and I lived in a really rural part of Colorado. So there was no, you know, there was lots of Hills and dirt roads and, um, uh, probably, I think my first stitches came from (laughs) Uh, getting a little too hot into a corner of one of the dirt roads and went straight, straight to my chin. Yeah. Um, But it was, uh, I think you and I talked about this before. It was really like my first taste of, of independence. Like I could go, you know, as far as my body would take me and and I was always really interested and still continue to be really interested in that aspect of it. Uh, So through that, once I started riding, I saw some older kids, uh, who had, there was a BMX track that they had built in a, in a field across the street from my elementary school. Mm. And they had like a water pit and a super janky starting gate. And that was really interesting to me. So I, I got pretty into BMX, uh, wanted to race, but the, you know, there were no tracks for miles, mm. like actual tracks where actual races happened. And it turned out that I was never very good with competition. Anyway, I would get it was it was always more of a solo pursuit for me. Yep. Uh, early '80s, uh, walked into a, a skate shop. Uh, so this is probably '82 or '83, and saw my first skateboarding magazine. You know, and up at the, until that point, it was just BMX Plus and BMX, BMX Action mm-hmm. all the time. And then, I didn't even know really what skateboarding was. And then I got a hand-me-down skateboard. And what and was that I parked? part? Uh, it was a GNS uh, yeah, yeah, pineapple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still have the deck. I don't know what happened to the trucks and wheels, but I still have the deck. Yeah. Uh, learned fakie one eighties on my parents' deck. Uh, that was the first trick I learned, nice. and I really haven't advanced very much since then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, loved. Went totally all in with skateboarding, and yeah. then again when I was eighteen got my first mountain bike and then got back into cycling. Never didn't have a skateboard, but cycling, you know, once I knew I didn't want to be reliant on a car, uh, when I moved from Colorado, uh, to Oakland first college. And, uh, it was, you know, through bikes, I met a whole host of really amazing people, a number of whom were also skateboarders, uh, hmm. and much older than me, but like, Uh, This one guy, John Suzuki, who lives out in Durango with his wife now, he was uh, he was a, I mean, I think he there's a picture of him in the second issue of Thrasher. Mm. And then, you know, when I met him, he was a skateboarder. And then when I remet him, he had gotten into cycling. And and so he really kind of laid the blueprint for um, for me, uh, skateboarders turned mountain bikers or skateboarders turned cycler, cycle, cyclists and, and and kind of bridge that gap for me.
0: I think that's really interesting because I think one of my frustrations with cycling, w- with anything that humans do, is that they get real tunnel vision and like, oh, if I'm a cyclist, I can't be a skater. And if I'm a skater, I can't be a cyclist. And if I'm... Yeah green i can't it, be orange it's so
1: white. so much identity is aligned with this with this particular activity and i've seen it for years you know uh and i love that it has gone the other way like adam myerson uh now retired professional cyclocross racer like he's got a history of skateboarding right uh royce nelson uh who uh, jim muir called one of the best pool skaters he'd ever seen. And this is like the captain of Dogtown is right. talking about this guy, Royce, who is the most unassuming dude. And he also now is a total ripper, like loves riding mountain bikes. John Cardial,
0: John Cardiel, super yeah.
1: into cycling. Uh, excuse me. Um, so I, there's a definite connection there. Um, and I've got, I think I had a photo set of I don't know, like 20... 20 people that I probably met initially through cycling who had a history of, uh, in skateboarding. So there was a real, real connection there, but it was always like, I agree with you. There's something about, it's very linear. Like I've always said, cycling is very linear because people get into it and then suddenly that's, that's all there. That's all there is and all they do.
0: But there is this like, there's drive for independence right that that goes through both i'll call them sports even though i don't really think of them as sports uh but you know like both activities right like um cycling to me was like i'm escaping from my parents orbit and discovering yeah. the world and that's super powerful and skating and i have a very sad skating story cuz i was not allowed to have a skateboard um rabidly not allowed my, my mom was a real asshole about it. I hope she listens <laughs> to this.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks but, for um, nothing, mom. but you know, it's that same thing of like, you learn learning to be independent and, and uh, uh, be on your own and get creative and uh, I don't know, bleed. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I think there's, I think there's something real valid to that. Uh, I mean, and, and not that, not that, um, obviously not that everybody has the same association, but this was, you know, this was sort of, uh, my foundation or my introduction to the the entire thing. It all kind of happened in lockstep. Right. Oh, and then, uh, so once I, once I was living in the Bay area, I met a friend who got me into mountain biking, like almost out of the gate, this guy who, who grew up in Saratoga and he was this caveman of a guy like rock climber, uh, unbelievably good bike rider. Um, you know, always rode bikes that were too big or too small hmm. and overalls with no shirt on and hiking boots and just killed it still to this day, I think is probably one of the most adept bike riders I've ever ridden with. And, right. and then, you know, like that somewhere along the way it opened up and I shortly after I graduated from college, I got a job as a bike messenger and then through Messengering. I met the original people from Swobo and it was through them that I got into the industry sort of peripherally. Right. And uh, and then Swobo got bought by Rob Roskopp. And then uh, I was on the road on the Norba circuit with Tioga. And I met Doug Hatfield, who's now the syndicate mechanic. Yeah. And then I got a job at Santa Cruz, but I knew that I wanted to get Swobo going again. So it was just like I backdoored my way through the entire industry and it
0: sounds like you went in all the back doors <laughs>
1: all, all of them I've made a few hey where well. does this back door go <laughs> yeah yeah and I mean I don't you know for a for a 25 year career air quote career in the bike world I don't have uh, any financial stability to show for it but I certainly have had some amazing times and really uh, developed some really Incredible relationships. Which yeah,
0: I'm I think I, for. I think I first became aware of you as a person uh, in the "How to Avoid the Bummer Life."
1: Yeah, days. that was uh, Tim. Well, Rob Roskop gave me a computer. I didn't have a computer. I didn't have an email address. Uh, I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything, and I didn't know what a. I didn't know what a, a weblog was. Yeah. So Tim wanted, Tim Parr, who founded Suovo, he wanted me to do sort of man the marketing arm of the business. And uh, it was a real trial by fire, you know, but it, it turned out to be something that I had a, um, uh, a, a little bit of a, an aptitude for, I guess. I, I enjoy writing, but I never wrote publicly and I never went to school for it or anything. And I've definitely honed my ability and grown up sort of publicly, you know, as, as I did, I did that for, I started that in 2006. Uh, and I was let go from Swobo in 2009. And then I basically rebranded how to avoid the bummer life to all hail the black market. And I've been doing that ever since. So that's 11 years, I think in August that I've been doing that.
0: It's sort of mind-boggling, isn't it? Like if you just you're just because I think you're like me you 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 you're routine-oriented in a way uh, like you want to do fun stuff, but you're also like you your business is all held a black market, so you get up and you you're always sort of like cultivating. Um,
1: sure yeah I mean I, I, in a weird sort of way I <clears throat> I monetized my existence right uh, and in and, and, uh, and you know there have been a few people over the years who uh, suggested lightly and and less than lightly that I do a podcast and I didn't want to do it because I felt like I was utilizing so much of my my free time and my existence and conversations that I had and experiences that I had. And I was right. using all of those as fodder for the website. And I thought having conversations with people was the one thing that I could retain sort of a personal hold on. Right. So, uh, you know, well, now that we're doing this, you see how. I Really dug my heels in for a little while, but I'm glad
0: to be the one that really helped you <laughs> finally sell your the final bit of your soul that was left. Yeah, one, of my, fa- sl- one of my favorite bands is um, whores, uh, noise band from Atlanta. I don't know if you know them. Um, and uh, uh, what I love about uh, whores is just basically um, Christian Lembach, who's the the front man is like, you know, we're, I'm not trying to be offensive. We're all whores. We're just, <laughs> we're just selling ourselves, you know, like whatever it is you think you're selling when you go to work, it's yourself. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: To some degree or another. Yeah. No, I, I love them. I've seen them, uh, I've seen them twice, uh, once in Oakland and once in San Francisco. And the first time I heard them, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that they weren't an amphetamine reptile band. Oh, yeah. Because they are so, Uh, In that genre, but I don't know, uh, Tom Hazelmeyer, the guy who runs AMREP, I don't know if he, like he, they felt they just weren't on his radar or, or what the situation was, but why there wasn't an immediate alignment between (laughs) those two forces. Right. Always kind of bewildered me.
0: Yeah. Because they're heavy and raw, like AMREP bands.
1: Yeah. To this date, I don't think there has been a, I don't think they've done anything together. I know they must I know Hazelmine must be aware of them. Sure, I c- you can't not be at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think they. Um, I think it's very regional. You know, like when I, I saw them with Sixty Eight, which is another band I love, um, and I tend to see them around. Like they're real tight with their homies, even if the sound doesn't always overlap uh, with mm-hmm. the other bands that they're, they're with. But yeah, uh, we could diverge into music real hard here, but. Um, yeah
1: that's okay i like i like that too
0: yeah i think i didn't Um, there was like a year where i listened to nothing but horse where people started to be irritated with me yeah (laughs) you know yeah
1: yeah they're an easy one they're an easy easy rabbit hole to go down yeah uh they did did you see that seven inch they did a what was it a who does the song someone else's train uh, the is cure that, the
0: cure yeah seven the cure inch. song yeah, yeah uh that's brilliant
1: i i i love that i love that there was a, i would, for a long time i wanted to do a, like a seven inch set seven inch record set somewhere like get a gig djing right and just play seven inches a to z right and um i was able to kind of do it at the hi-fi booth at Interbike a bunch of years ago i don't know five years ago or something as I, I played yeah. records at after afterwards at the, during the beer hour, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you didn't quite, quite realize division. your dream. No, not, not really. And they had a turntable that you had to move this rubber band off the turntable onto the spindle <laughs> to change the speed. There wasn't a switch. Oh yeah. And if the rubber band fell off the spindle, then it just basically like fell into the abyss and you had to spend five minutes fishing it out of the turntable. Right. But suboptimal. Uh huh. Yeah. It wasn't, um, it wasn't. It wasn't an ideal experience, but bores were definitely like thick in the W section of yeah. that collection.
0: I think it's very hard to do actually uh, an effective uh, punk rock um, uh, DJ set without seven inches. Mm-hmm.
1: It's the it's uh, it's the most ridiculous uh, it's the most ridiculous medium have talked about this before you put you put a record on and you leave to go do chores or clean your house or whatever and by the time you've pulled the vacuum out or you've begun making breakfast you have to stop and go back and turn the record over yeah which is kind of the the ineffectiveness or the inefficiency of the medium is something that also sort of appeals to me like i align my own way of being or my own personality with a seven inch record because it's just it's it's good to a point and then it's terrible from that point forward. And maybe it's a metaphor for my
0: own existence. I feel that. I feel that it's beautiful, but extremely difficult. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite, one of my favorite, uh, uh, rocket from the crypt. Well, one of my favorite pick rocket from the crypt is one of my favorite bands of all yeah. time, but they released a five inch record and the turntable that I used to have, you had to have to, uh, put the needle on, like run it across the turntable super closely because the turntable would recognize it. It would reject it. It would reject it. So I didn't, I wasn't able to listen to the record for years (laughs) because my turntable wouldn't actually let me listen to it.
0: That's funny. I have a, I have a rocket from the crypt seven inch somewhere and it, it has a pog in it do you remember yeah. when pogs were a thing
1: yeah 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 that's um boy the boy chucker seven inch
0: that's the one i can't and believe
1: I, have, I was able to pull that out of my memory
0: and i have that pog and every time i move my records i'm like shit what do i do with this pog no, you like I, I can't anything. get rid of it because no. it's a part of the thing
1: you can't and they don't they don't release the pogs with that particular seven inch anymore so oh, yeah, you, yeah yeah you yeah. keep it and then you know maybe someday you, Start playing pogs again. I don't Some know. Some desperate that, old
0: punk will give me, I can whore it out. I can yeah, <laughs> give me a stupid like $14 amount.
1: $14 for it. You, yeah. You know, sell it on Discogs, maybe $17. You can buy like two and a half burritos with it. <laughs>
0: I, you know, this is, we're going down the wormhole here, but I, a few years ago, I sold some records, which was a mistake, but I sold some records and I sold like the first squirrel bait record and it,
1: uh, the one with Brian holding the Walkman up to his face.
0: Yeah. And, um, oh no, actually it wasn't the squirrel bait record. I did sell that. It was the first angry Samoans record. Okay. And, um, I'm not a record collector. I mean, I, I collect records, but I'm not, I don't give a shit what the jack like i'm not trying to keep things in pristine i'm not that guy keep things pure yeah i want to listen to the records right there's music on there and i want to listen Mm -hmm. to that so i sell this angry samoans record and some guy he gets it and he's like you didn't say that there was a crease in the top Mm. right corner of the jacket and i said to him i'm refunding all of your money Keep the record. You just killed my soul. Have a nice life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the yeah. an, We're really talking about the Angry Samoans record. You're mad because there's a crease in Who the corner.
1: Is it? it Steve Albini that was quoted as saying, "Record collectors are pretentious assholes"? Oh no, that was a poison idea. Yeah, record collectors are pretentious assholes. Yeah, uh, totally. I completely subscribe to to that. I do, I don't get that weird about it, but I do. Love. I mean, I don't definitely don't get that weird about it, but I do love having I love my records. I I, I don't I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Likely, uh, I'll get, you know, some terminal disease and have to sell everything to afford medical care. Yeah. But I've had you know, I've been collecting since I was a kid. And I've got some really cool records. Like they're like my babies, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My last, my first cat. I, I he got rid, he ate a piece of cork one time. And it stopped him up, and he had to have emergency surgery. But it was uh, you know I was like thousands, thousands of dollars. I think I ended up spending twelve or thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars on that cat. Jeez. So I was like, well, as long as I have bikes and I have a record collection. The cat's oh. got good. He's covered. Like, I can sell everything <laughs> right, to right, take right. care That's of him right. if I have to.
0: Those are liquid so assets.
1: Now he's passed on, and it's it's sort of my my safe my golden parachute, my safety net. If I need, uh, I was going to bring up. There's a feeder's twelve inch. I don't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but they glued a piece of sandpaper onto the front of it. So that it basically like fucks up the record that you put it next to in your collection. Like the whole point of it was to destroy the records around it, which I think is just. It's I don't know. I don't remember if it's a good record. I, well, I, I might have just not even listened to it. I might have just bought it for that express right. purpose. Right. Filed it away. You right. Know, with the- piece of cardboard in front of it so I wouldn't wouldn't fuck <laughs> up my, my own records. Are you an
0: alphabetizer with your records?
1: Uh yeah, I am. Not um I yeah, I was I think I got into some kind of a discussion on Twitter a couple of months ago. Like I'll do A through Z, but yeah. not
0: within the letter
1: A A to, you know, and then AB and yeah, I, yeah, I can't yeah. I can't do that, but a lot of people came through and said, "Yeah, they are absolutely is that like uh, I don't know what that like super, super alphabetization would be considered, but they, there are, there are those who, who oh, do yeah, that. Yeah, 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 my yeah. friend, Brian Quinn, uh, he and I have, we rib each other. He said that he, he, he has this weird category categorization, like, uh, like bands or, you know, uh, filed by uh, producers <laughs> or, you know, he, he, he's like, he, he Half of the recollection really
0: is an Albini. Is the Albini? <laughs> yeah,
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, like, I don't. I haven't gone down that particular hole. But as long as I kind of know where the you know everything is.
0: Yeah, that's where. To, that's to how I do degree. it too. I think there's like um, there's a point, and this is this. Well, we can take it back to bikes a little bit. Here is there's like a there becomes a point where. It stops being about music. There's like this record fetish. Yeah. And it's where you're like, you know, you're alphabetizing within a letter and you're like, you've got that uh, special brush. I do own the special brush, uh, but I'm pretty bad about using it. But my point, you know, like you get all the little things and you're like, you know what tone arm you have on your thing. And it's and bike people do that, too. Like they stop thinking about like riding their bike and they're just into the fetish
1: of what their bike is. Yeah. Well, we're kind of contradicting ourselves here. Cause on one hand, like I, I understand. I, I, uh, I don't know that can't think of the term. I actively avoid that part of bike riding. Right. Like I remember one time I was building bikes in my old place and I had friends around and we we're all geeking out about like different parts and stuff. And I think that's what maybe one time in the last, a couple decades that I really nerded out about stuff and it was kind of fun you know yeah I, I do nerd out about other things yeah um, but bikes are they're more utilitarian I guess and they're more of a tool and so I don't I can't fetishize them I to think they're pretty
0: to me and I've look I've done it I've nerded out and maybe the thing is that we've both been all like all the way I say this about the bike industry. Like I went all the way in and now I'm trying to get all the way back out. And it doesn't mean I'm trying to leave the industry. It just means that I'm trying to just like what we were talking about at the beginning about just go, just ride your bike and it's just fun. Just, Mm -hmm. it's just fun. I just want to be there. I just want to be there. I don't want to participate in the, the fetish. So much, at all,
1: and yeah, and maybe that's you know that's sort of the beauty of of the bike world is it is uh, it allows you to kind of be whoever you want to be. You don't have to be the fast racer person, yeah, yeah, yeah. or you don't have to be the veteran, the industry veteran, or the master mechanic, or and any more. Being a master mechanic is too difficult because yeah. there's too much stuff to remember. You know, I can think of three people maybe who I would consider master mechanics. How do you keep track of compatibility and all of that? I don't yeah. know. It's way out my skill set. Uh, uh, I see so where we're, where were we going. Oh, I did want to mention one thing. So we kind of crossed streams between bicycling and, and music stuff. Uh, but there were two people that I used to live with in, denver i lived in denver for a summer when i was in college and this guy named mark dickerson who he, he is a master mechanic he was a master mechanic uh, and got bored with bike stuff and went to engineering school and now he works for lockheed martin and he builds rockets and yeah but this guy was an insane bike rider and he was just a sponge of knowledge mm. of of all things uh, cycling related uh uh, Shimano. He knew everything about the history of Shimano, all of the the, the group compatibility incompatibility, incompatibility issues. Hmm. Uh, he was headhunted by them to to actually work on the road. Um, uh, we actually spent a little bit of one season with Dave Toll, um, the uh, announcer. Mm. Uh, he, he, when I first met Dave, he was a mechanic for Shimano. So like, you know, Shimano doesn't just throw out a a drag net for whoever, like they are specific about who anyway, Mark, amazing mechanic, amazing bike rider, uh, was oddly, um, uh, extremely knowledgeable about world war two trivia as well. (laughs) Uh, and then, and then our mutual friend, this guy, Dave Strunk, who started Penta Bike. Uh, yep. the, it's, it's a graphic that you see around, like that was his thing, uh, back in, back in that, that, those days. Um, so I lived with those guys and they taught me sort of out of the gate. You could be, you could, you could, um, immerse yourself in this, in this linear, uh, bike nerd. Uh, adept cyclist persona or existence and you could also be a total derelict. You know you can you can do both things. You can right and and another topic we were talking about is like urban exploring and 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 digging around and abandoned warehouses and stuff like that. Yeah. Those guys taught me they opened my, my entire world to that. Riding bikes. And doing drugs, if that's your thing, and getting drunk, if that's your thing, but being, you know, and also being a a super talented mechanic, like immersing yourself into that, you can be a really good mechanic, you can be a really good bike rider, and you can also be all of these other things.
0: What I think is empowering about that is for people like you and me, I th- who I think, I mean, I'll, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for myself. Like I was a derelict in my heart. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is a thing that's of me. And so as you say, like meeting people who were like, oh, you are a lunatic in part of your life, but you're yeah. also intelligent and you can, Do these things, too. Yeah. Like, that's important
1: to know. I love that. That's that's like the blueprint for my entire existence. Yeah. You know, I think I had I think I had these components and I'm not saying that I'm this I'm some incredible mechanic or I'm some incredible cyclist. Mm. I've had my moments where I was pretty good. Hmm. I'm probably a way better derelict than I am any of those other things, but <laughs> yeah. but the fact that the marriage could happen and and it was it they showed me that it was not only um well not safe isn't the right word but it 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 was sustainable right you know and these guys have gone on to like have incredible careers and incredible lives and and I still. I don't keep in touch with Mark regularly, um, but I still really value those little lessons that they taught me. Yeah, and and uh, I just think you know I just think that's that was such a those were such formative experiences with those guys R- riding around. They would have like these things that they call nightcat missions. Yeah, and they would meet up with this other guy named Larry Woodruff, who was uh, he was like the Nebraska. State BMX champion back in the '80s or something, and uh, and worked for Funk. I think he was a welder at Funk. Mm-hmm. And this guy was another. He he was another total derelict, like a total social misfit, nine ball who yeah. could ride the shit out of anything. Yeah, you know, he was just he was incredible bike rider. Yeah, and just to watch these guys operate, you know, was super inspiring to me.
0: There was for for me like in uh, so I'm I'm an East Coast guy and so I discovered um, you know DC hardcore and then all of the bands that, that came after which I bring up music again because the revelation out of all that was all that shit was just they just did it right there wasn't like oh we're gonna try to get noticed by a record company they were like no fuck that we are the record company and Real we are though. The t- yeah, we are the tour agent and we just you just do yeah. this stuff. And if you're smart, you can be a derelict. But if you're smart, you can make all this stuff happen for yourself. And that was like that, I think, was a super powerful. Like I, when I was in bands uh, in my 20s, like that was, oh, yeah, we just do it. We're just going to record our own record. We're just going to do this stuff. And then I got away from that. But when I got back into the bike industry, I went to work at Seven Cycles and I was super nervous before I worked there because I had been writing about bikes, but I didn't really know anything about the bike industry. And I thought I was going to get there and, you know, they make custom bikes and I thought it was going to be snobby and I thought it was going to be something that it wasn't at all. I got there and I was like, oh, no, this is the island of misfit toys. These all of these people here were like, oh, no, you just make a bike company. You just do mm-hmm. it. Do you know how to weld? Great. You sit over there and we're going to figure out business and we're just going to figure out marketing and we're going to figure out the way forward. Funny so, thing is,
1: I, I think the whole bike industry sort of works that way. Yeah. You know, like nobody has a, a great deal of business acumen. It's, <laughs> it, everybody, it's, just, it's like this is the corner all the marbles roll to. It's just some of the marbles are more marble-y.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that feels right. But I definitely, when I got there, I definitely felt like after being in the quote unquote corporate world and trying to play whatever that game is to arrive in the bike industry, I was like, oh, yes, good. I'm home. Right. Yeah. Like, even if I'm not the bikiest guy and if, even if I'm not the whateverist, whatever, it didn't matter if mm. I was willing to like, sit down and try to figure it out they were like great good job keep going and we're all just doing it and we're riding bikes together and like you say a lot of the, the people there people that no one has heard of except the nerdiest of nerds in the bike industry are just incredible riders and can yeah. do do anything you know like you just could point them at a pile of tubing and say make a bike and they'd be like okay when do you want it Mm -hmm. Um, and those people I found super inspiring and I'm not that guy I'm not a bike builder or whatever but in terms of like sitting in front of my keyboard and saying like I'm not going to win the Pulitzer prize but I I'm going to do my work like you do you know you put you you prep a canvas and you're like yeah I'm a painter I like now I'm going to do this and you did did you go to art school
1: I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. You should use that as an analogy because <laughs> I don't really consider myself a painter either. Like I don't, I, no, I, I don't like, I don't like the term artist. People call themselves artists or whatever. Like I right. feel like that's super pretentious, but the maker, I like maker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I know, I feel like I kind of faked my way through art stuff as well. Like I just kind of, I just kind of feel like I faked myself, faked my way through
0: most of is that your imposter complex? Probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because I, mean, I like I'm, your art. I got a lot of therapy ahead of me about a whole <laughs> lot of stuff. But yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, know. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, I sometimes I think of myself as a writer because i that's what I do. I write things. That's almost all day, every day. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. But to your point earlier about doing a podcast, feeling like all of the grist in your mill was going to all hell, the black market already. Like, why am I going to do a like I got to I got to like parse out conversations. I feel like and I do know if this starts to get pretentious, just make a fart sound or whatever. But I just <laughs> I just think like I'm working. I'm working on ideas. Right. Like I'm just working on ideas. I have ideas and I'm expressing them however there is to express like whether that's a visual arts thing or a writing thing or a podcast thing. And I'm new to podcasting. I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. I don't you know what I mean? I just think it's all like we're working on this project where we're trying to do cool things all the time and whatever the medium is, is whatever. I don't know if the medium is the message. I just think it's use whatever you got like i was in bands for a long time and i stopped playing in bands because i'm fucking terrible <laughs> i'm a terrible <laughs> guitar player i sing very poorly like no one was enjoying that like i was but i feel like the best part about being in a band was having burritos after band practice yeah um,
1: that was the only part of being in a band that i was good at
0: yeah same same so i just feel like I do think of myself as a writer, but it's, I don't really think much of writers. And you know, like you sit in front of, <laughs> okay. you sit in front of like type, go ahead, type. We'll right. see if we like you or not.
1: That's, that's really funny that you should say that because about, I don't know, I'm going to say 10 or 11 years ago, I w- I just had it with bike riders. I had it with, you know, cyclists. Mm. And I had it with with the art world, like really had it with the art world. I thought I had some inkling of what the art world was about until I I worked for a a really high end art handling company. And we were handling, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of artwork. And the people in the art industry are so fucked. And so I I gave up. I was like, I'm done with bikes and I'm done with art and I'm ju- and I was gonna, uh, like I was <laughs> I was really uh, interested, I was going to just build model cars and, um, and <laughs> <Yeah>. do karate. <laughs> like I was starting, doing karate classes. But then I realized that, that, that I'm just trading, I'm trading one physical activity and one sort of cerebral, like, like meditative activity for another. And ultimately I built, you know, like a couple of model cars and I didn't do any karate,
0: do you and feel I, like uh, it, it, at some point you would have been like, I hate karate guys. <laughs> oh, I just, I'm so done yes. with karate.
1: <laughs> That's the thing is I was so, I was so certain that these two, uh, these two, um uh, realms, uh, or, or activities, uh, I don't know. Alternate pursuits.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: They, 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 the two things that I had committed the entirety of my life to almost exclusively, yeah. Uh, were full of people that I didn't really vibe with or didn't yeah. really get along with or understand or relate to. And then I realized, you know, of course like through this and I'm, I've, I tend to be a personality of kind of extremes. Like it's not, you know, if yeah. w- why cook a half a potato, either you cook no potatoes or you cook a hundred potatoes. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's everything is like, okay, I got to move. I got to move out of my house. Uh, that I've shared with my wife, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a bear box and go live in the woods in the back of my truck. Like I can't, there's no happy medium for me. So uh, in, in recognizing this about myself uh, I realized that I didn't need to get out of bike riding because all of my, all of the best friends that I've made are, you know, I've made through cycling. I've had some amazing experiences uh, through uh, the art world and and making stuff and showing and traveling and yeah and it's but like why do I have to do why do I have to get out of these things entirely is you know like I just need I feel like I need to pull the pin throw the grenade
0: yeah I love to have a little quit
1: it's okay yeah you know in moderation. But as somebody, somebody once said, all things in moderation, including moderation.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have that. I don't have that card to play, the moderation card. It's I just don't. One. Like My wife will say, why don't you just have one cup of coffee? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, why?
1: <laughs> at a time? Or, know, I, or, I can yeah. have one cup of coffee at a time. Yeah, I'm not drinking exactly. two cups of coffee at a time. Yeah,
0: I, I'm not mm. against two cups of coffee. I've been known to drink a hot and a cold. I don't. <laughs> I don't care. Simultaneously. Yeah, they're deli- both delicious experiences. Delicious at the same time. <laughs> yeah. No, I think uh, that, but I also think I have a lot of I have that fuck it uh, I have that fuck it uh, card to play also, where I get us. You know, I definitely have done this with writing uh, in various industries. Like I, I before I wrote about cycling, I wrote about soccer. I I played soccer my whole life. Whatever. And um, I wrote about soccer for a long time, and I made no money doing it. And everyone was full of shit, and no one ever pays the writer. And I got mad, and I quit. Um, and then I started writing about cycling because that was going to be different. But it's not different, you it's know. You just different. you just keep. I don't know. I'm at a. I'm in a more peaceful place with it now. Like. Even this podcast, if no one is listening, if you're listening out there, I'm talking to you. Even if you're not doing that, I'm still (laughs) saying all these words. I don't care at all anymore. Yeah. I'm having a conversation with Steve. I I don't even know him, really. It's, it's all, it's, if nobody listens to this, it's all
1: fine because we're still making a thousand dollars a piece in episode. Yeah. So. Yeah. good for good for us. Good for we, us. We found the grave. Was it a thousand or two thousand? We found the gravy train with you, this.
0: Well, yeah. Jeff Bezos is writing the checks. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, uh, go to space never come back.
1: <laughs> in, your bon- <laughs> in your boner rocket.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> what, uh, so let's see. We covered that. We covered. We covered records. We covered music. I did want to mention that uh, the, there was a. Uh, let Them Eat Jelly Beans compilation. Do you remember that? I don't. It was, uh, I think it came out on Alternative Tentacles and it was a It was a whole bunch of different bands and there's a picture of Reagan on the cover. And
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. One of
1: the, uh, the best record, or the best song on the record was uh, Pay to Come by the Bad Brains. And I'd oh, never yeah. heard the Bad Brains up until that point. And I'm listening to this and I was, I don't know, I think I was 13. Yeah. I'm listening to it in my friend Adam's bedroom and was just totally floored. And there's little tiny like, Uh, uh, postage stamp sized photos of all of the bands. Yeah, and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm I'm like, that's four black guys. Yeah, being a white kid from Evergreen, Colorado. Yeah, that blew it. It it opened up any 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 anything is possible. Yeah, like through skateboarding and through punk rock, you don't. There's no you don't. anybody can do anything.
0: Yeah. I have the exact same reaction to Bad Brains. I'm like, this is, this is four black Rasta dudes. uh, And they are the godfathers of hardcore. So you've got all these suburban white kids trying to make this music and everyone knows that the patron saints are those guys. Yeah. And it makes no sense. And I love that so much.
1: There was another band I just learned of, um, uh, I think I can track this down while I'm while I'm trying to think of the name of the band, but they were like uh, late 70s. Oh, Uh, in
0: New York. Are they called death? Maybe. No,
1: they were. Death was from Detroit. Oh, right. Right. Uh, But it was these guys were like death. Death was at that point. You know, it's they've been described as they were they were too black to be punk rock and too punk rock to be Motown. Yeah. And so they just sort of didn't, they couldn't find their, the, the middle ground. Right. And, you know, so the tapes all went into storage. And I think as the story goes, one of the guys sons ended up finding the reels reel to reels and, and um, it ended up getting put out on matador. Oh, that's an interesting, but these,
0: these guys, Oh man. The other band, while you're looking that up, the other band, I wouldn't, I won't say band. So I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, uh, and and punk rock had a very hard time, uh, penetrating the deep South.
1: You and like four other people.
0: Yeah. The thing, the thing that ended up being, uh, the like shocker for me was the repo man soundtrack. (laughs) Oh, when Repo yeah. Man came out somehow uh, there were some you know girls older There was always older girls were like you know you might like this and uh, I was I remember hearing the Repo Man soundtrack the first time and being like oh my god it's terrible and <laughs> I love it
1: yeah that was that in uh, Suburbia were two big ones for me okay yeah. so this band is called Pure Hell
0: oh I don't Um, know that band, uh,
1: 1975. Yeah. Death came out. Death was in 1971. The bad Brains started in 1977, but pure hell was 1975. And they were like, it's a, it's a, it's a must have, like it's an unbelievably good record. All right. And so again, you know, like now, however many years after I first heard the bad brains, I'm learning about this band, which totally changes the parameters of my perception of, of punk rock. Right, you know, like it's undeniable, and it and they're amazing, and they're you know again, right. like I'm still on am 50 years old, and my and my mind is continually being expanded as to right not only what's possible, but why what is happening now, and for the last 35 years is it's because of pure hell and it's because of the bad brains right
0: well this is why i wanted to talk about all this foundational shit in the first episode because i feel like it connects right like i look at the stuff that gets me excited now i'm going to be 50 this year too um you as an adult you get sort of like everyone wants to kind of like uh corral you down into uh, certain homogenous behaviors and attitudes and wants you to consume certain things and i never want to i never like i'm i'm i have a constitutional aversion to that um and i don't know why but i just look back like when i was um you know 5 or 6 years old and my brother put kiss Alive too on the turntable and handed me the record sleeve, and I looked at Kiss and I was like, "Oh, this is fucked up," and I really want to know more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just being that sort of cascades into everything. Like I learned how to ride a bike, and then I was like, "Well, what's in those woods over there?" Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's that like independence and curiosity and like. I don't know. I think it's all it's all kind of connected. If I find an abandoned building, we talked about it like this all ropes in. Like, I want to know what's in there or what's behind it or like.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 all it's all related. It's all and you wouldn't think of an abandoned quadrant of a urban, a downtown area and single track winding off through the woods or a curvy mountain road like you wouldn't. You wouldn't necessarily categorize those things together, but to my mind, it, it's it's essentially just like what's around the corner. Yeah. What's what's around the corner, and what's around that corner, and what's around the corner after that? Right. You know, like I, it just, I live for it. Yeah. Like I absolutely live for it.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's a, the the true local trails to me, where I spend so much of my time. They're at an. They're not at they part of the woods that they take in is an old an abandoned mental hospital um, that hasn't been active for decades and a few of the buildings are there and they're gross and there's, they're weird and there's like a cemetery where they buried patients who didn't make it. Isn't it? It's
1: like one of the top 20 most haunted places in the country or something, supposedly. I feel like I've read about that in every every year Time magazine puts out.
0: There's another one. Well, there is a much bigger one south of me. This okay. is the thing in New England. We have old, we have abandoned mental hospitals <laughs> <laughs> because we're so fucking sane. We don't, just don't need them anymore. Um <laughs> But, you know, like that sort of thing to me, that's like urban wilderness. Yeah. Right. Like the wilderness intrigues me. I never see a trailhead and don't think, well, where does that go? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it's the same that trail that goes behind the mental hospital. What? Like you got to, you have to know where that goes. And it's the same with a punk rock record. I put on a punk rock record, especially when I was younger, right? Like now I kind of know, you know what you're going to hear most of the time. Um, But you you put on a punk rock record and you're like, whoa, where is this going? And Mm -hmm. it's the same, same thing. Or you look at a piece of art and you're like, what is up with this person?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, as far as like visual art goes, I definitely get more of a charge looking at uh pictures of people's studios or people pi- or pictures of pieces in process because that to me that lets my mind sort of go down that like where is that going path right, a little right. bit more than looking at something in a, st- in a in a gallery or a museum yeah it's, it's just I'm, sterile it's 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 it doesn't there's there's too drastic a juxtaposition between the chaos of the of the making of the piece and the mind that made the piece and in, in this white wall with glasses of wine and yeah. charcuterie boards and stuff. You I know? do love the charcuterie s- board, though. Did I say that right? I think you did. I think I read recently that uh, charcuterie boards are just lunchables, but <laughs> that's right. That's right. On, on walnut boards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't remember like. What I have to do in five minutes, but I remember random memes about charcuterie boards.
0: I need a charcuterie board and I need a Lunchable. In fact, I would eat them side by side, happily. With
1: with two cups of coffee. With a hot
0: and a cold cup of coffee. I don't care about anything. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> no you, apparently you really don't. <laughs> no. Uh, well, hey, you know what? I just uh, I looked at the clock and we've been at this an hour. Yeah. So we, we can should... continue going, but uh, this has been fun. I appreciate... <laughs> I hope the yeah. you know two or three people who are listening to this yeah have enjoyed it as well and look forward to maybe another
0: till next another, time
1: another uh, episode
0: yeah let's say that's episode one in the can literally and figuratively uh, and if you liked what you just heard I guess you're, we're supposed to tell people to subscribe to it right that's uh, the thing that, the I think
1: that's how you look yeah, I think that's how you listen to podcasts
0: right so subscribe yeah. to this. If you want more, if you want more of it, um, you can tell us what you thought in the comments. Uh, you can ask us questions. Uh, you, As I think we just demonstrated, we're not likely to answer in a cogent way. Um, but we do have a loose plan for future episodes, right?
1: I think so. Yeah, we've 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 covered this. Yeah. And a loose being the being the sort of important in That sentence, yeah, uh, and uh, I guess I should also plug. Uh, I have now six or seven months of uh advice column on the Cycling Independent, uh, called uh, Is It a Message in a Bottle? Answers a from, from a Bottle, a bottle is answers, your column. answers from a Bottle. I shouldn't
0: have to tell you that.
1: You probably should, and yeah. I don't know how they mess, I don't know how the questions get sent. It is Stevel at. Cycling Independent or Cycling Independent. Jesus Christ. At Cycling
0: Independent. No, the. At Stevel
1: at-, at CyclingIndependent.com. That's and right. For anyone who remembers uh, uh, the Ask Chopper article uh, from Bike Magazine, uh, in which Greg Randolph answered a host of technical slash life style slash fashion slash spiritual quandaries uh, I was, there was talks of me taking that over and, um, and that never happened. So, uh, at some point, Patrick and Kush posed the idea maybe of, uh, advice calm. So if you want to send something in a question about whatever, uh, please do.
0: Definitely. And if you, if you are a cycling independent reader, listener, who isn't a regular all hail the black market, uh, reader, listener, watcher. Smeller, you know, catch catch Stevel yeah. there. Yeah, I used um, to do
1: it. Uh, I used to post stuff three days a week, and then I went on the road uh, for six months. And then I was doing it two days a week, I think, and and then just as an act of self care, I've pared it down to Tuesdays. Um, but I have all of the social media arms that I manage on right. a somewhat consistent basis. So there's always uh, there's always
0: something, and it's a circus of heartfelt nonsense. Right. I, uh, yeah.
1: Especially these days because my entire world got turned upside down. So yeah. I tend to, yeah, I tend to wear stuff on my sleeve and, um, and, uh, you know, i have engaged with some, some real kind folks who, who maybe are going through similar things, uh, or kind of want to riff off me or, or ask questions, or 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 who are making themselves available to answer questions that I have. Uh, it, I've been really lucky to to find yeah. uh, an understanding community through through my through my website.
0: We're all we're very all, kind,
1: very kind folks.
0: Yeah, we're all the same. We all have the same shit, right?
1: <laughs> it, it's true. It's yeah. true, and we got to talk about it because um, you know none of us want any of us to be a statistic so right let's hear to uh let's let's hear it for t- lashing our proverbial life preservers together and uh, you know keep, keeping our heads afloat together
0: yeah i'm down so all right with
1: that thanks man
0: yeah thank you uh this has been revolting with steve when robot have a great day everybody